know whence you have come in order to understand whither you are going. You have to have that connection to understand who you are. If you don't, then you're living in the immediate moment, which means you're stuck in whatever level of consciousness you happen to occupy at the time. Mm. We've delivered this in accordance with our promise to Carl Gustav Jung's son, personally, in Jung's own house, in his studio and consulting rooms. We said that we will deliver this to ordinary people, people who will normally get no chance at this. And, and that's what we sought to do, and that's what we will continue to do. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Ask a Depth Psychologist, our show where we take your questions that you've submitted at the $10 tier or higher on Patreon, and we kick it about between ourselves and answer it in as much detail as we possibly can. And of course, I'm joined by Steve and Pauline Richards, two depth psychologists with 40 years clinical experience each, and myself with not so many months of depth psychology experience, but I feel like I can still bring something to the table. So to kick things off straight away, we have a question from Coinich, and he asks, can the personal myth through line be a parallel term for Edinger's ego self axis? It seems this is a bit like an umbilical cord connecting the ego with the self. What happens when this line becomes damaged? In what ways could psychedelics disrupt the natural progression of ego-self separation? Thanks for that question. Yes, uh, on the surface it is the same thing, but what we, we have to remember in all cases where we look at slightly different perspectives on things, that the lens you choose to look at a phenomenon pretty much determines what you end up seeing. So if you follow uh, Edinger's line, that, that, that's absolutely fine. Um, we would have a different emphasis that I would suggest is probably a lot more practical and a lot less cluttered with things that might prevent you from quickly getting to your solution. That said, if you have studied Adinger and you have his methods internalised, then there's no reason at all why you can't use that as a starting point. Yes, so by all means do that. With respect to what happens if this is impeded in some way or other, well, I would say that that's the foundation for a general class of neuroses that I refer to as being the individuation neuroses. Neuroses in the plural, because obviously in a specific instance, it will narrow down and focus to the individual concerned. So most aspects of adaptation, maladaptation and so forth during development boil down to an individuation neurosis. And with respect to psychedelics, I've never used them. I'll be quite open, I've never used any kind of drug and never felt the need to do so. Now that said, let me just be clear that I'm not criticising people who do use them. That's a matter of choice, at least initially, because obviously once you start using substances like that, the elements of choice get quite critically modified mm. by the requirements of the substance. Um, now, with respect to the validity of the material that turns up, in the sense that it is psychological, it has an innate default validity. So the material that, that comes up is real in that sense, as Jung himself would definitely have said, and he did discuss the use of mescaline, although I don't think he was particularly in favour of it. I was influenced early on in my studies back in the 1970s by Stanislav Grof, with his rather, uh, at the time, very famous uh, works, uh, The Human Encounter with Death and Realms of the Human Unconscious. Now, he's a transpersonal psychologist and he used LSD um, to see if he could access other states of being that he would have referred to as being transpersonal. Now, the transpersonal psychologies 
are a relatively relatively new developments and can be be considered to be post-Jungian in the sense that they arose largely after his death, which was in 1961. So the cultural ambience that um, gave rise to the hippies is part of the ambience that produced transpersonal psychology. So these are people who were quite prepared to experiment with altered states of consciousness induced chemically. Now, my concern about that is that although it's valid as a fact of empirical experience for the subject, it's still not a natural way of experiencing the unconscious in a way that the unconscious would want you to do it, which is through direct personal <coughs> contact, through established channels, rather than, if you like, kicking the door in, a little bit like Aldous Huxley's Doors of Perception. Yeah, great, but you do kick the door in when you use a substance like LSD. So what comes through is going to be altered, overamped, amplified, distorted, however you want to conceive of it. And the problem is that once material arises like that without too much of a control and natural control upon it, it will become associated to ego consciousness and may persist after the, the drug-induced state has passed. Now that persistence will mean that one or more complexes can take advantage of it. Uh, and LSD flashbacks are obviously a problem in and of themselves, but even before that could happen, you're going to get this problem of persistence. So clinically, Pauline and I would, would see this kind of thing all the time. You get state-dependent memory, learning and behaviour, which is Ernest Rossi's definition of a complex mm. in effect. Bearing in mind, for those uh, who don't know, that Ernest Rossi was a Jungian analyst of significant standing, and he was also a psychobiologist and the leading pupil of the greatest hypnotherapist of the 20th century, Milton Erickson. So you have a state-dependent memory learning and behaviour complex that is set up and has now been reinforced by the contents of the psyche <coughs> that have been distorted by a substance. And the substance passes, as, as we've just been saying, but these effects can persist and they can dominate and take over the ego and can perhaps induce further problems such as a psychosis, which is uh, potentially a far more terrifying thing even than the most severe of neuroses. Now some psychoses are transient and some people who experience them will only experience them once in their whole life and they'll recover perfectly well. But the problem is that even when the psychosis abates, it may leave material attached to ego consciousness, which can then again feed into one or more very severe complexes and can damage the self-concept, damage reflexivity and can open up pathways of transduction between psyche and soma, which can create literally illnesses that could eventually become diseases and of course also further affect psychosocial relationships. So the ramifications of doing the wrong thing for a momentary aspect of pleasure or exploration really need to be considered. So uh, I hope that answers your question and if not please go in touch again and we can expand upon it. Yeah, I like that answer a lot as well. It's 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 um it's a nuanced way of doing things because people like to you know I've seen Jung's letters on psychedelics and stuff like that, and uh, they are pushed by a lot, a lot, a lot of people. I have uh, lots of friends actually who have um, used psychedelics. I either use them regularly as kind of recreation or like microdose, and I've never seen any of them get enlightened ever. But I have seen lots of them rad radically, and I'm saying radically, change their personalities afterwards. 
not necessarily for the better. So yeah, I, I agree. My, my my personal stance would be, why? It is literally kicking the door in. Sure, you'll get a response. But again, to carry the metaphor forward, if you kick somebody's door into the house, you're going to get a response. And it might be an amusing one at first, but it just depends, doesn't it? Because there might be a lot of people living in the house who will take exceptions to you kicking the door in. And metaphorically, <clears throat> that can be the case uh, with the psyche. Obviously, we've worked with people who've been under the influence of various substances, some of them live right in front of us in primary health care. You know, they've come in drugged up. You know, as I say, under various substances. And even if you just look at alcohol and alcohol dependency, mm. the alterations to the personality are such, because of that substance, it can make it almost impossible to reach them in a meaningful way, psychodynamically. And then you're reduced to dealing with it behaviorally, which is an inhuman way of treating anyone, or cognitively, which is just superficial and is likely to fail. Mm. It's just for the sake of because you appear to be doing something rational. But your capacity then to reach someone and help them change is severely limited. So I would say, yeah, if you want to be one of these psychonauts, mm. do it through meditative processes that don't involve drugs. However, you may be lucky and get away with it, in which case that, that's fine. And you may have experiences that are beyond anything that I've ever experienced, and you may well be comfortable with them. But I've never needed to do it personally, and I don't really feel that anybody needs to as such well back in the day you would have done it through music yeah i used to use music you, for example <coughs> yeah mm. I, i'd use indian music ravishankar yeah but i wouldn't take the weed with the ravishankar which no, no. a lot of my friends did or, or something similar i yeah. wouldn't need to because yeah. before i'd even learned about hypnosis you know before i even knew what trans states were i was experimenting using them uh, so i could retain some degree of consciousness yes going into the unconscious now that is what real active imagination is about and so much nonsense is spoken about it you know um, you've got to be careful but if you train yourself progressively you can use active imagination productively whether it's of any use therapeutically or not well I would and I think Pauline would agree with I actually would take issue about that because it is more of a self-indulgence and it's more to do with self-exploration but once you try and use that in a clinic with, with people who are severely upset and disturbed, then you're actually going to make the problem worse, which is why hypnotherapy is far more effective and far more powerful a method mm. than what, frankly, is just the self-indulgence of the usual forms of active imagination. Of course, I know that, that Jung indulged in it, but Jung indulged in a lot of things because he had all the controls in place necessary to do it. Uh, and I say, when I was young, and I had far less pressures than I did later in life, uh, <clears throat> and if you like them, at an equivalent level of control over my life, because other people looked after my life, you know, I didn't have to worry about survival, I didn't have to worry about anybody else, yes. as in patients or clients, yeah. um, I could <clears throat> indulge in that. Um, now I, w I would not do it, uh, unless it was literally just to explore something, uh, and I know that there are more powerful methods with respect to hypnotherapy but yes if you do use active imagination without the aid of a drug or anything else and it's imagery based the one thing you must absolutely do is train yourself as an ego conscious entity a reflexive personality to maintain your boundaries as you go in and that's very difficult because as you go into the unconscious there's a tendency to become unconscious 
uh, and this is a phenomenon that you get with dreams uh, lucid dreams many people claim to be able to do lucid dreaming at will and they probably can and there have been experiments to show that this can be done to some extent but I know from my own experience personally because I'm a lucid dreamer and uh, of working clinically with other people that there is a paradox and occasionally you can dream you're having a lucid dream but you're not the, the idea of a lucid dream is incorporated into the dream and you effectively are dreaming about lucid dreaming which is you know a bit of a, a strange thing to suddenly become aware of in the paradoxical world of the psyche yeah and um indeed i've shared the these some of these self-hypnosis techniques that you guys have shown me um and they're always way more powerful everyone says they're way more powerful than drugs all of them and, and, and we might share those things in the near future we're trying to work out some of the details on that front you know eth ethical guidelines and things like that yes and it'll form part of the professional training that's being instigated at the moment of which you're a part james where we'll be training professionals in psychosystems analysis and in hypnotherapy for sure just come on, just a couple of thoughts steve as you're speaking one uh is how the the role of the ego is 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 often underestimated really mm. the importance of it yes indeed because uh, as we often say in these podcasts it's only <clears throat> um when it's um under threat in some way say from uh, psychosis whether it's drug induced or otherwise that you see just how important it is yes um and the idea of trying to attenuate attenuate consciousness or, <clears throat> or to sort of dispense with the ego is, is a very dangerous thing it, it is incredibly dangerous and, and why would you want to uh in some regards uh play around with yeah. that to the extent that mm. it might be compromised yeah. so uh, just just a yeah. just a common sense point of view really i, I think that's really important because if you break down those boundaries, you're, you're asking for a psychological infection. You are. Because there are opportunist complexes, uh, and we, we do repeatedly yes. say this, yeah. but with good reason, because this really happens. And, and you need to understand that, that if you mess around with these things, they'll have a ball with you, literally. They'll yeah. kick you around all over yeah. the show. So yeah. you do have to maintain your ego boundaries. You do. And also, you know, consider yourself to be a traveller in another world. You know, be polite to the locals, otherwise they'll get upset, and you might find you never come home again. Yes, yes, literally. Yeah. I and mean, I'm, I'm mindful of something that uh, we've been involved with recently, but we've, we've dealt with a lot of things like mm. this. Um, mm -hmm. Where you deal also with the knock-on effects on on other people. Yeah. And um, the 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 case I have in mind is uh, a young woman who. Um, induced uh, um, had a, a psychosis induced in her by somebody uh, it, it's believed lacing a, a oh, yes, food yes. or a drink case, uh, at yeah. a social event uh, mm. over which she had no control that was done to her and it just so happens that she's a very vulnerable young mm. woman and the, the cascade effect from that down into her family um, it's, it's just massive I mean it's something that's still being resolved now yeah. so I think you have to bear in mind too that if you do experiment and it goes wrong um, the potential consequences for that mm. you know as they ripple down into your family and, and, and out into you know mm. broader life so it's something to yeah and this is an advantage really, of a yeah. biopsychosocial model as it well is, because yeah. you, you can make that assessment immediately and pretty much predict how things are going to go wrong okay. also the the starting conditions you know mm. in psychiatry it'd be called pre-morbidity mm. uh, the, the mental 
physical and social state of a person before they go through an experience like this. Um, in other words, what you what have you got in you that could be triggered? Yes. You know, there's a, you ha you have to be careful. You do. But uh, back onto the, the the subject of um, the ego self axis mm. and the personal myth. So just so I don't lose the thread, so to speak, mm. of of that. Um, yeah, it's my view and I've been criticised by some ignorant people for this but that's okay ignorance always leads to that kind of criticism uh, my view is that you have to have you have to have that connection to understand who you are if you don't then you're living in the immediate moment which means you're stuck in whatever level of consciousness you happen to occupy at the time <clears throat> you need to know whence you have come in order to understand whither you are going and those of you who are into Gnosticism will understand the significance of that. So where you come from, what's contributed to you, uh, and what are all the decisive factors that have added in, hugely important. And yeah, we do need to define the personal myth properly, and it's, it's not a simple thing. Uh, it's not a pleasant thing either necessarily at all, because you're going to have to uncover all sorts of issues but the gold in all of this darkness is finding that absolute, absolute central collection of facts that add up to who you are. You know, without knowing that, you can't really move forward and you can't actualize your potential. And I, I know we keep getting asked as well. I see the comments and the DMs and everything else about when's the personal myth videos and the personal myth guide going to come soon. It will come soon trying to make it good, trying to make it perfect, trying to make it something to be to be proud of for everybody. Definitely we want, we want to properly. do it justice. Yeah. Okay, and the next question comes from Rich, and he asks, how would I go about integrating repressed aggression? People say things like go to the gym and learn a martial art, but these things don't work for me, as I'm scared of other people's aggression as I never developed my own. It seems repressed due to my father never letting me answer back when I was a kid. My aggression and my anger were dismissed. Going to the gym doesn't do anything as I could come across somebody aggressive at the gym and I'd be wholly reliant that my size and strength would intimidate them, which for me isn't a cure to the problem. I need inner integration of aggression. To do justice to, to Rich, then I'll have to say what I'm going to say and that is that it's almost impossible to give a, a, a proper answer to that without knowing the complete context of, of his life. Uh, otherwise the response is going to be superficial and general uh, with that caveat in place then if we can just abstract the, out the idea of aggression as he is feeling it um, that's something which is occupying him obviously and to go back to the previous question if he were to access his personal myth he would know why aggression probably it's self-assertion um, that is coming through at an instinctive level and with such instinctive and it is an instinct with such instinctive force mm. if he can grasp that then all the things that are wrapped around that in his life story can be adjusted appropriately I have no doubt from what he said that it's caused in part by his relationship to his father in the past because he is saying that, that that's his recollection and that's his understanding of it I've no doubt that that's an issue However, even if he were to sort out his father complex as such, and I'm accepting that that is the case, that there is one active, as I've just said, he would still have to deal with the instinct that's behind the manifestation of the frustration of himself that is compensating through aggression. So getting to that will solve everything else. 
it's not to reduce it to it because actually paradoxically what you will find is that if you go back to that instinct a whole new world of associations options emotions and directions will emerge mm. from the depths of the psyche in other words what Jung called the self and what Paul and I would consider to be the psychological self at the level that Jung normally approaches it, but also from the genomic self, from the biological side of his totality. Those two, if you like, being metaphorically the opposite sides of the deep structure coin within us all. On the surface, you get the psychological self as the head of the deep structure coin, and on the reverse face, you have the biological genome, which is the true base of our being. So if he can follow back the instinct as an Ariadne thread back into the labyrinth, then we will really find out what he needs to do. And then you can remove the necessity to deal with the superficialities one by one, and we can get locked into this. That's, that's the kind of thing, for example, the complexes will do. They will lock you in a loop of trying to resolve them. And there's very often a, a trap there which suggests you can't resolve it. For example, with a father complex, it might well be that for some people, they may be in middle age, for example, that their father is now elderly and is no longer the threatening figure they were when they were a child. Mm. And the impression they have of their father perhaps hurting them in some way when they were a child is locked in psychologically, but there is no correlation anymore with the external man. And then the person who's suffering is like meat in a sandwich then between the past and the present, and they're stuck and they may fantasize about confronting their father or may be told by somebody to go and do that as if that will actually solve anything. But suppose the, the real father, the physical father then dies and you're left then without having resolved it. The solution paradoxically perhaps in both cases is the same. You have to resolve the issue of the father internally, not externally, because internally is where the damage has been done. And internally is where the psychosocial issues that you may be carrying forward in terms of your relating to others has been done. And the way that you sort that out is to find out which of your instincts that self-actualize have been affected by that relationship in the past and how they are affecting you in the present. And one way that you can identify that is to look into yourself and find out whichever behaviors are manifesting neurotically, what instincts are underneath those. Then you'll know where your damage is. So you go to them. Now obviously it's not that simple because you do have to tunnel in and you do have to integrate the results. But please do not be distracted by these surface structure ruminations and suggestions from others that you go and confront people on the outside. Yes. You, you, you might cause something really harmful to yourself and others that you will regret later. Um, it's far better to develop yourself by accessing these things, these forces and structures inside yourself and the best way to overcome what's been done to you in the past is to have a better future mm -hmm. by self-actualizing. So you do have to look into the past, but you're looking into the deep, deep past rather than just your personal mm -hmm. past. You're going to look into the past of your species as a human being, down into the basements, way, way down into the world of instincts and the intention the instincts have for you to actualize your life. So. That, that's what I would suggest in, in, in those circumstances. To find the cause of the compensatory aggression 
that, that Rich is feeling he has to actualise. He needs to look at what instincts have been hurt. And then rather than get locked in revenge, if you like, for the past, which is a normal thing to feel, you know, find out what will make him good and strong now and give him a good future. Okay, cheers for that, Rich. And uh, this next question comes from John Potion Seller Darwin. It's a very interesting name. Uh, and he, presum presumably he, asks, I have a question at the end of this message about an archetypal experience settling people. This is quite a long one. I had on an Amazonian concoction. It requires some context. After taking said concoction, I was shot through several layers of archetypal imagery and geometry. But during the breakthrough, I seemed to go into what I think of as forced individuation. I was swarmed by little energy dwarfs, similarly to Jung's Kabiri, or Kabiri. They made me look at these two tablets, which made a pair of opposites. One tablet was angelic and the essence of virtue. The other was sinister and the essence of evil. And looking at it was like being waterboarded. After being forced to look at each of them, I felt like I had to accept them both or face a madness worse than death. So I accepted the good with the evil and immediately hit a nirvana state or peace that passeth understanding of perceived omniscience. I perceive knowing everything, therefore there was no uncertainty to act on, a perfect state of being and totality. So my question is this, my experience took place before ever reading Ion, and in Christ a symbol of the self, Jung's description of individuation is a perfect parallel to my visionary experience. Is there any scientific grounds for chemically forced individuation? I'll let you two handle that. Um, so he's been he's been using Amazonian substances. They're they're quite popular now. There's a UFC personality uh, who I've had some contact with in the past. Not therapeutically, by the way. It had to do something else. So you know, I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with him. Um, nice guy uh, who's uh, experimented with that, and I know it's quite popular at the moment. With respect to um, forced individuation, you can't force it. That's just an a priori. You cannot force individuation. How could how could you do that? You, you you can have experiences that suggest to you that you've expanded your consciousness, and you've certainly had an experience. What you really have to do, even if it's before Ion or anything like that, and yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on this. Um, that all sorts of connections can be made that are really really interesting. You'd have to really analyse yourself and and look see. You know, it's, it's, it's a process of, of trimming away what could have contributed to all of that. And once you, you've, you've done that with respect to your personal associations or the potential for personal associations, in the same way that you would work with a dream, if you, if you are familiar with structured ways of analysing dreams, Jung laid out a template for this, which we will be discussing in, um, in future podcasts, but you may already be aware of it. So work on your personal associations to those images and associations, experiences, first and foremost. Strip it all away. Then eventually you're going to bottom out with things which you can't dispose of so readily. That's where it gets really interesting. Then look at how they interact and see what principles may be at work there. Um, from what I recall from what has just been read out by James, there was some suggestion of the interplay of opposites, for example, which is a universal theme. It seems to be the way that the human psyche works. It works dialectically, it works through opposites. It likes the, the exchange and interplay of opposites. So you could say there's something fairly fundamental there that's likely to produce that. Um, 
when you've done that and it's quite a cold analytical reductive way of working you can then with honesty build back up again through those experiences and reinterpret them at a little bit of difference away from the subjectivity of having gone through it in other words i'm suggesting you try to objectifize as far as that is possible your own experience so in other words you you, you deal with it like you would have done the self-analysis of a dream then you're going to be able to work it through and find out if there was anything of a benefit there or whether it was just the door being kicked in of your mind uh, and uh, a huge uh, Indra's net-like experience of multiplication of fantasies and symbols which can happen when synapses are overstimulated and again I'm not suggesting that it should be reduced to that but if we have integrity in, in a self-analytical sense you've got to try You've got to try to test yourself, pressure test it, bring up every null hypothesis you can and throw it at your experience. Then whatever you're left with is going to be really valuable for you to build back up again with. Um, I hope that's not too complicated uh, an explanation. Um, but you can't force individuation. You can't force it. If it was truly an individuation that, that had been experienced, well then you are individuated now, which means there's nothing else to do. You're a complete person. Now that's entirely possible uh, because individuation is dependent upon potential. And there are people who have very humble and ordinary lives who probably individuate by the time they hit the teens mm. because there's nothing else for them to do. There is no nothing more they can do or achieve. It could be something very, very simple. It could be just simply tilling the soil, working the land, being in communion with the passage of the seasons and with the biological rhythms of life mm. as they live through until the completion of death that's individuation and it's valuable in an intrinsic sense but if you have a higher or wider or deeper whatever analogue you wish to use potential then you're going to experience a lot more and you're going to be pressure tested in different ways so I think it's useful to think of individuation not as something you can actually attain if you have high potential because there's always going to be something more to do but if you feel having had this experience that it's on the level of a more orthodox say religious experience and as far as your development is concerned it's a done thing it's a done deal then you probably are individuated in the sense that you've hit your ceiling that's as far as you can go um, I don't know. I, I can't. Um, I can't say. I don't know you in, in any depth, or know your context beyond that. Mm. And I can only uh, make suggestions, if you like, based on the information given. I hope that's been of some help, anyway. Could I add a, a little yeah. bit, Steve, if you, Please, did, if look, you didn't yeah. mind? No, uh, I guess not, from no. personal experience. Um, Probably a lot of people know out there that we have a, a, a daughter with special needs and, and, and she has a, um, a group of friends socially, but one girl in particular stands out oh, yeah, um, yeah. as um, she is, how can I put it, she is just an incredibly contented uh, and wonderful young woman actually. And um, she's found a way for herself of making meaning in her life. Um, and she has a, a real love for the natural world and for animals and mm. so on. So she pours a lot of herself into those kinds of things. But 
I guess the point I'm making is that arguably she's individuated. Oh, definitely, without, without a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, and in a nice way, because she's going to benefit to the warmth of other people's lives. Yes. Purely through the expression of her innate nature. Yes. And, and does do so. She, and she does do that, uh, yeah. Although every light attracts shade. Yeah. And so she gets bullied and picked on. Yeah. Because she is so one-sidedly good. Yes. In that everyday sense. Yeah. And yet she is content and happy mm. uh, and likes other people to be happy and to benefit she and uh, yeah. she probably doesn't have that much potential beyond that but no. she's operating at that level now mm. and in that sense she's definitely individuated yeah. and is a valuable human being it, yes very valuable human yeah. being intrinsically and in her own right yeah yeah, yeah. really good example yeah yeah, yeah I, I um i think i'm gonna take a slightly different approach to you two to answer this question for what it's worth anyway be like um i guess metrics you know, because you can have an experience. I've had the same thing. I've, I've had an experience with a substance. Never thought that I was enlightened afterwards, but I, you know, I was, I was bombarded with a lot, an awful lot. But are you, are you still suffering with something? Would, would be a question. Have you, have you had a personality change? It has that nirvana state maintained itself. Are you at peace, or is it purely a callback to that experience, and then you're, you're framing it in your own past as this was my own awakening? That, that you know, and that requires consciousness to do but if all it was was an experience that put you in a temporary nirvana state and then you came out the other side exactly the same just with warm memories then i would say yeah no not you haven't necessarily done anything particularly useful in this particular context it that's really is a valuable mm. point because it does have to be about sustainability yeah which indeed. is why i guess yeah. we we've, we've just given the example that we have one because it's probably not something that people would generally think of um but in this particular young woman, there's no doubt that the way she lead, uh, leads her life is sustainable. She very, very, very rarely very. errs from that. No. Uh, and she derives a lot of pleasure herself from living in that way. And, and equally, she gives a lot of pleasure and a lot of love and care out to other people. So, yeah, I, I think I think that point you raise is a very, very valuable Definitely, one. It has yeah. to be sustainable. Yeah, th thank you, thank you. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. Because if you're if you're gonna relapse, quote unquote, into other, you know, suffering, or you're being pulled this way and pulled this way, and it's like there's still work to do, which is an exciting thing because that's the job of life after all. Um, the next question comes from a Moose Man, and Moose Man asks: In the Charing Cross method, when one's psychological health is compromised, is it recommended to reverse the acronym and start with self-esteem? What can one do to work on self-esteem? We did address this, didn't we, we in, in the yeah. in the Charing Cross uh, <clears throat> handout? Uh, I, I think I, I would refer into that. I, I think James. Yeah, that, so you mean the video that we were putting out yesterday when we were recording this? Because we, we we have some so, so many videos coming out. The one which is called um, the one which the thumbnail has sabers explained in it. Because in in that we talk about how it, how it was reversed. Put the link to that in. Could yeah. we do that? Certainly, certainly, yeah. I'll put that in the in the description down below because that that does explain it. But if you just like, if you just to, uh, abstract self esteem out, then it's anything which will contribute to your psychological development in very broad terms. Uh, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, and your sense um, of well being. Your sense of yeah. your sense of well being in, in a broader or mm. perhaps narrower actually a sense, um, clinically. There and this falls back to what you were saying, Paul, earlier mm. about um, the importance of ego consciousness, mm. ego strength. Yes is a vital metric it is in psychiatry it is you know um mm. if you have a weak ego strength this is the way that they would think of it yeah you're much much more likely to succumb to all sorts of conditions and illnesses yeah. 
which going back to the idea about active imagination and self-exploration, you need to have a strong conscious position and boundary to boldly go where mm. other people haven't gone before. Yeah, yeah. You have to be careful. So yeah, uh, lo looking after your ego strength is important. And if you loosen that boundary through all the other things that we've been talking about on these podcasts and, and videos, identification with inflationary characters who can fill your head with ideas that are damaging, mm. um, getting out of touch with your instincts. You see, archetypes are potentially pathological because of the way we experience them in everyday life. It's through culture, psychosocially, psychoculturally. And there is a massive suggestive effect and inflationary effect in being exposed to these things to the extent that people are particularly now and over identification with them and a, a failure to engage with normal lifespan development means you will be separated from your instincts and then to justify these archetypal fantasies which they are a lot of people who encounter young and the people who have followed young will then internalize them as if they are real on the inside but what you have to remember is that you're in effect creating a complex by doing that you're not actualizing the real thing whatever that is and i guess it's the same argument with the use of lsd or other psychedelics that it's not really a valid way of exploring the psyche if you simply internalize these external images uh, narratives and, and so forth and think that you're experiencing an archetype you're not you're experiencing an ego fantasy which has been projected and elevated to the level of culture and then everyone can jump in and feed off the trough of these things and well you just mess yourself up it'd be far better to find out what the psyche itself has to say and what it wants to give you now that's being a true psychonaut Agreed. So thank you for your question, Moose Man. Hope that helps. And uh, disclaimer to everybody, if you've picked up the manual, thank you, of course. And um, the, the video we released, the one that was described in, that, in the response to that question, if you use that with the manual, that's like a complete and utter package. So it's like if, if, if you picked up the manual and it's like you need an extra bit of support, that was the purpose of that video. But we decided to make it public to be like, well, this is why would we withhold this necessarily? If this can help people... Then it, then it will help people. So yes, uh, move on to the next question, which is from Baldebrock. Uh, Baldebrock asks, or he says even, I've had low-key insomnia since I was a kid. It grew over the years, and now I inevitably push my sleeping rhythm unless severely sleep-deprived. How do I figure out whether the issue, and similar issues, is directly biological or a product of my developed psychology? My long history makes me think it's strictly biological. But when I ask myself whether I prefer the day or the night, I am provided with an explanation pointing to psychology. It's an interesting one. Hmm. It, it is, but um, his last, uh, the last part of his statement doesn't give us an indication of what the preference is. Just that there is one psychologically for day or night. So I, we, you know, we don't know, or do we? Do we? Do we know what, <clears throat> what, what his preference is? No, 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 we don't. So we'd, we'd be left guessing on that point, and that, that could be significant, really. Um, it's almost certainly biological, and at least initially. Um, but our biological adaptations affect our psychological adaptations and then they become interactive. So we, we'd need to know that. But um, I know plenty of people who are like that and it's sufficiently to say that it's normal. <clears throat> you know, that, that very often what we think of as being a, a sleep disruptive pattern 
is normal enough. Mm. The problem is the mismatch between that and external demands. Yes. And so, if you like, the psychosocial side of the biopsychosocial uh, equation. Mm. So, you know, if, if we have to regulate to other people's rhythms, uh, to the rhythms of occupation, for example, uh, or of uh, other people's expectations of us, then our biological setting may become unhealthy. And then our psychological adaptation to that mismatch could then become neurotic because it will affect our sense of self-esteem and our identity, uh, our ability to relate to other people and so forth. So there will be knock-on considerations. So Balderbrook, I, I know, is part of the Discord and he's very active and, and contributes a great deal, which is, which is fantastic. But what I would suggest to him is that he has a look at the biopsychosocial model and then processes himself through it. Um, we can help him with that if he, if he needs it. On the Discord, to, to everybody who's watching who might be in the Discord, who might join, we have a channel now called the Library Channel, which is where we, we will post, essentially just Steve and I are the ones who post in there, and it's like resources that we can use. We're slowly building like a master library. And one of the papers that was put in there recently is a 1980 paper from George Engel, which goes over the, the actual biopsychosocial model. So that might be a good place to start. Yeah, I mean, I would recommend everybody do this because one thing it will, if, if I can be so blunt as to say, one thing it will cure is psychoreductionism, if you're honest about it. You, you can see that this, the psyche, obviously, is the experiential focus of our life. Jung said this, and I completely agree with him, but we don't begin and end with our psychology. Even Benjamin Franklin mm. said, I'm not contained between my hat and my boots. He's a bit more than that. We all are. Uh, and if we can honestly process ourselves through that system, we will see how we function simultaneously at so many different levels. And all of those levels are a part of us, even if they are extrinsic to our physical presence. Mm. You know, um, and, and this has become more of a meme, I, I guess, uh, amongst reflective people recently when they realize that they have an Internet presence and that that is part of them. That's an extension of them. But it's always been the, the case that we have a psychosocial presence that is independent of us physically, at least in the immediate sense. But we, we are alive at all of these different levels. And it's all about the exchange of energy and information that makes up our, our continuum, our personal continuum. And knowing that and knowing its balance will solve a lot of things quite quickly. We can just make the psychological element the immediate focus, but it's not everything. So we can get away from psychoreductionism then, can't we? Well, we used to use something called it, which you developed, Steve, called a systems grant. Yeah, systems didn't grant. Didn't we? Yeah, which yeah. was a kind of a, a self-assessment yeah. tool, really. It was, yeah. Um, and that was that was very helpful. I yeah. mean, maybe we could update that in some yeah. way that yeah. and, and get it out there for, well, well, for you, people to use. In, in the 1980s, Pauline mm. uh, delivered that in, in um, acute psychiatry. Yeah. So with psychiatric patients who were incarcerated, Yes. You know, albeit acutely. Yeah. Um, she would put the systems gram in in order to get them reorientated at mm. these different levels. Mm -hmm. uh, and it gets people outside of the rumination of the the imposition of a medical or a psychiatric diagnosis because that tends to close people down. That tends to reduce them. Yes. Because you're basically saying you have no value because you are just a insert schizophrenic depressive whatever yes that's you and that's pathological mm. so therefore you are pathological yes. that's what the system the psychiatric biomedical system does mm. and it will reduce you mm. now 
a system's grand perspective shows that you're much bigger than that and that the things that have contributed to you being in this predicament exist at many many different levels and they can all be adjusted mm. it's all about regulating the system as a whole and then if you get it right then that mm. compressed diagnosis goes it's released and the person grows again and to go back to self-esteem the self-esteem improves because they realize how effective they can be at different levels yeah. and that you're not then just a victim of a classification and a diagnosis that tends to dehumanize you it would also be useful um thinking about what we discussed yesterday about the adhd yeah um for the guy who asked that question yes indeed it'd be, yeah. be a useful way of um him rethinking himself yes it would it's yeah. all, all all practical and, and, practical. and uh, very useful but again we know this is this has been road tested george angle did it yeah. and, and we did it and, and particularly pauline in the most difficult of circumstances with people who well i've so, done it in chronic psychiatry as well. and in that too yeah. and that was in the early 2000s so this has been road tested for decades we know it works and of course in primary care as well yeah so something that expands your perception of yeah. what you can do to help yeah. yourself and to yes. adjust yourself mm. is very useful mm. but to do that you have to get away from being psycho-reductive mm. and most of the people who find themselves interested in Jung have been hurt in some way before they discover Jung mm. and then within him within his, his corpus of work is the promise apparently of, of breaking out from that but the, the practicality sadly in, in Jung's collected works here on the shelf the practicalities are limited, very, very limited. There's an awful lot of uh, theory and there's a lot of uh, imagery and the kind of uh, overgeneralization of fantasy that can come from that. And that's all very appealing. Yes. When we're compensating for the fact that we've been constrained and, and restricted and divided. But there's very little in there that tells you how to do things. And we feel that that's what we have to offer because we've delivered this in accordance with our promise to Carl Gustav Jung's son personally in Jung's own house in his studio and consulting rooms we said that we will deliver this to ordinary people people who will normally get no chance at this and the only way to do that is to make it practical yes. and real world mm. and, and that's what we sought to do and that's what we will continue to do so yeah by all means study the collected works the, the marvellous the rich but there's not that much in there that's practical you know and it can be a long journey sorting out what that is unless somebody gives you some hints about how to do it and um i guess to take a stab at your question myself balderbrock um there are two things i've noticed in, in myself regarding biology versus psychology if you find yourself getting tired naturally then there's nothing sort of nothing wrong with your biology there's nothing up there if you feel tired then you should go and sleep Right. So if you've used the word as well, and I know you're into Dostoevsky and literary analysis and everything else, you did use the phrase, I inevitably push. And push is like an active word and it's inevitably. So there's almost kind of like, um, there could potentially be a riddle in there for you. Potentially. One of the, um, the diagrams that we used at Charing Cross was Sisyphus and the boulder, you know, pushing up the hill. <clears throat> you know the myth? Uh, and they identified that as, as uh, a pre-morbid or pathological part of people getting into a state where they have metabolic mm. catastrophes and collapse. The, this idea of pushing uphill all yes. the time yes. and then it rolls down again yeah. and uh, until you become so metabolically fatigued you can't do anything. Yes. 
So it's interesting that you mentioned that that literary analog, and, and the the thing that, yeah. that stood out for us was that. Yeah. De- definitely, because it's as if to suggest. Uh, I think, as James was saying the other day, about uh, the big five and the idea of industriousness, it's as if there is a value judgment built into that that mm-hmm. it's better to push, and it and it's better to and if you can push uphill while you're doing really well. Um, so yeah. Yeah, but it's you know as we know the boulder can just boulder can just roll can. back and, yeah. and flatten you if you're not careful yeah. as well. Intelligence and problem solving are more adaptive than just pushing, uh, and that yeah. means that you look for ingenious ways of solving problems. Yes. So that would be better. And that's the handmade life. Yes. Everything ultimately yes. is interrelated, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah. It is the handmade life. Because yeah. it's a, it's a resourceful way of of dealing with difficult situations. Mm. Yeah. Great. So thank you, Belderbrock. Appreciate that. And uh, this next question, it's a fairly long one, so we've got to settle in again. This one comes from Kiro, or Kero, and he or she asks, Hello, Young to Live By team. My question is regarding how one retains more information slash attitudes in one's ego. Through the help of you and others on the Discord server, I've come to realise that one of, my, one of the biggest instincts I've been denying in myself is my potential and the instinct of wanting power. Thankfully, it was made conscious in me before anything bad with long-term ramifications happened. I'm now safely reintegrating that wanting of power and trying not to deny my potential. I say reintegrating because I used to be aware of this instinct and fed it semi-consciously. I didn't know about instinct at this point in time. It feels as if this conscious attitude of wanting power and the awareness of this instinct somehow fell, quote unquote, into the unconscious and now had to be brought back into awareness. My question is, how does one retain, for example, the positive attitudes one's, one picks up and is blessed by without forgetting them and it negatively becoming unconscious again or needing reintegration? How is one supposed to balance and remember all of the attitudes and wisdom one learns throughout life? Thank you for your incredible work and to everyone on the Discord server helping each other out. It's been great. Well, thank you to yourself, Kira. Appreciate that. As with anything, you, you just have to attend to it. You, you have to give it suspe- uh, sufficient space in your life um, to continue to to grow it and and to keep it not necessarily uppermost in your mind but sort of it it seems to be that this lady suggesting she's she's is it a lady we don't know I'm sorry I thought you said it was a lady I'm sorry I do apologise you wondered if it was Uh, I wondered if it was yeah Um, that somehow that they're going to sort of lose a, a, a grip on the things that they've learned that somehow those things will 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 just become ephem- ephemeral and and drift away from them um i don't believe that necessarily has to be the case i think once they've been made conscious it's very very unlikely that, that you're just going to become completely unconscious again uh, of those things that have become important to you but as with all things, you do you do have to work on things. You do have to attend to things yeah, to, you do. to keep I think libido what, invested in them. Well, you do. I, I think one of those factors is who is influencing you. Mm. Well, where, where are your ideas about yourself coming from? Are, are they intrinsic or is there a, an extrinsic factor that might be psychosocial? In other words, uh, from any two-person relationship out into family and occupation and uh, or just wider media influence that's affecting how you see yourself because what that would do is cut you off from potentially anyway uh, cut you off from your instincts now you've mentioned instinct and you were obviously naturally connected to those before without issue but at some point perhaps you've become a little bit unsure about the validity of yourself in connection to those instincts 
um, if, if you access them they will inform you so that, that will be important uh, you, you've mentioned power yeah um, that I, I would I would honestly need to know what you meant by yes, that yes not, yeah, yes. not, not being yeah. um, being funny or tunneling around uh, when I say that but there's a number of ways of looking at that uh, and also knowing how old you are um, what your circumstances are so as with some of the other questions I have to be careful mm. not to make a broad brush interpretation that's just not applicable to you in your personal circumstances mm. but um, the way that instincts tend to develop when they reach consciousness and in fact before they do does follow a pattern psychologically that you could map on to the development of psychodynamic theory the, the, the three greats of the early psychodynamic, psychoanalytic world were Sigmund Freud, Alfred Adler and of course Carl Gustav Jung and the expression of instincts and adaptation and your potential to grow and develop seems also, if you like, analogically to map onto the work of those yeah. three. So Freud is not reducible to what I'm about to say but he does cover mm. it more than the other two. Sexuality and early development and the basics of instincts which he would have called the id, uh, which means the itself, it's that primal drive, that's, that's Freud. Adaptation to society, to social interest which for Alfred Adler was uh, the important thing, what he called the masculine protest and he meant this in women as well as men in the language of his day was uh, self-assertion uh, and he was interested in overcoming inferiorities and he thought everybody has inferiorities we all do and that we all overcompensate to some extent for that and this is the striving towards completion but for him the goal was social interest so eventually you, you, you assert your own power and become yourself and you can help others hence you get to social interest but you pass through this phase of self-assertion by overcoming disadvantages um, he talked about for example organ inferiority if somebody w w was to be born with a, a disability mm. or a disease uh, that would be compensated for in some way and this was all part of the power principle so we start out with the basic adaptations of instinct then the power principle maturing into uh, adaptation to society then when you get to Jung Carl Jung said that you had to understand the first two he said you need to understand Freud and Adler before you get to him and most people who follow Jung don't. They just skip over Freud and maybe just scratch their head when it comes to art. I've never heard of him. But Jung is very clear about this, that you need to understand those two before his material will authentically take. So that means you need to understand instincts, the body, and you need to understand social adaptation, psychosocial. Then you can get to him, according to Jung. And that will be to do with what we might call the transpersonal, the spiritual and so forth. So if you're in a phase where you're you're struggling with the power principle and, and self-assertion, we can say that you're entering or have been in for some time an Adlerian stage of psychological development and are approaching Jung in the fullness of understanding. Yes, you can, you can access Jung obviously at any time in your life, but you get the most out of him when you adapt to society through Adler and when you adapt to your instincts through Freud. 
So if you feel you've lost access to your instincts, you do need to take the elevator down into the basement of your being and see, and I, I know I keep saying this to people, what's happened to your instincts? Have they gone wrong in some way? Have they been misdirected? Have they been repressed by other people? Have you let go of the thread of your instincts that are intending to power you through in your life to fulfillment? Then you'll find, if you can get a grip on that, that your assertion of your own self and your own power and expression of your own uh, need to be yourself through an Adlerian level of psychology will just source itself for you because you're in touch with your instincts. And at that point then, you can truly engage with the transpersonal and the psychosynthesis rather than just the psychoanalysis, if you like, that Jung offers. Um, I'm sorry if that's theoretical, but I don't know enough about your circumstances. No. No. And I don't want to give you a superficial answer. I'd, I'd rather give you an answer that you could potentially gain a lot from by looking at in some kind of depth. And when it comes to training psychotherapists in our model, our approach, we include Freud and we include Adler, absolutely. Because we know that if you don't do that, you're going to miss a great deal. In fact, you're going to hit the road running at the wrong place and the surface will be a bit skiddy. You won't be going to get enough grip, if you like, metaphorically, on Jungian material because you're separated from instinct and you're separated from psychosocial adaptation. And of course, this fits really well with George Engel's biopsychosocial model so yeah find out where your instincts are what they're up to what they want from you and then you'll find that the power principle will come through in you and then you'll want to help others because you feel comfortable with yourself then you can go into the transpersonal and not get inflated by compensatory fantasies which does happen with people who go into young and have lost contact with their instincts and who are not psychosocially adapted uh, they, they start to just live in the clouds and then they internalise the clouds and then they lose all substance at all mm. and everything becomes a, one massive fantasy an internal fantasy that's projected into the outer world then you become very very amenable to suggestion it's dangerous because what the psyche will want is some kind of solidity or substance a place to stand and you won't get that if you just go dancing around in fantasy you won't get it so it will look for a, a figure, it will look for a leader, it will look for a cult, it will look for a strange religion, something like that to give you a place to stand. And in this internet age, there's no shortage of these people and they can lead you over the edge. They might actually lead you over the edge and wave goodbye as you go down and then trot off somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So be careful who you follow, who you make yourself amenable to. Always ask, where are my instincts and am I psychosocially adapted? Then I can safely get into Carl Jung. And with that, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you, everybody, for submitting questions. Appreciate it, as always. Of course, if you'd like to submit your own question and you're currently not pledging anything towards this particular podcast, then you can do so if you visit our Patreon page and pledge $10 or higher. Of course, this was a monthly podcast, as we've said before, because of the demand and everything else, that uh, we're going to expand it. Currently, it's going to be twice a month. Maybe it could even go to once a week. It all depends on what you guys want and the type of content you'd like to see on this channel. But as always, thank you. And thank you, Steve. Thank you, Pauline. We'll see you all again soon. Thank Thanks, you, everybody. everyone. Thank you for your questions. It's wonderful. It's a great privilege. Thank yes. you uh, to be able to attempt an answer. Um, thank you so much. See you soon. Cheers. Thank Blessings. You.